Hello and welcome to our latest episode of Vagabond Actors Podcast. I am Andrea Helene. I am talking to you from Mallorca, Spain. And with me, as always, my compatriots, Brian Casp from Prague. Hello, Brian. Hi, how are you? I'm good, Ryan. How are you? I'm pretty good. Yeah. Hanging in there. Yeah. Hanging in there. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm, All right. There's a story there, I feel. Ah, <laughs> and Gary Condes from London, England. Hi, Gary. Hello, Andrea. Good evening. And I'm, I'm also hanging in there. <laughs> I love it. You know, as we're rounding the bend to the end of 2020, we're all just sort of like gripping, gripping, I think, some something. Mm-hmm. Well, we're very excited. We have a very special guest for today's episode. We're happy to introduce Jen Seifert, who is talking to us from Los Angeles. Hi, Jen. Hi. How are you doing? We're yeah, good. How are we're you? so happy to have you today. We're going to be talking all about creativity, boundaries, passion, finding yourself, writing, tapping into your resources. We're going to have a fabulous conversation. And before we begin, as always, we'd like to check in with each other on the most recent creative activities we've been engaging in. So anybody have anything they'd like to share about what you've been up to since we last spoke? Yeah. Well, this week I am co-directing the English dub of a Czech fairy tale. So I've been in the dubbing studio and the director's desk for all of Monday and today, all of Tuesday, and I'll be there until Saturday. And it's really a great process of working with actors and figuring out what little triggers I can give them to get the performance that I want out of them. And then I actually got in the booth myself this afternoon and did a little bit of dubbing into English. And that was really fun too. So I'm looking forward to doing more of that. Lovely. But yeah, I've been in the studio for the last few days, and but it's full on. It's from eight until six at night, basically. Mm. But it's great. It's really, really fun to, to do it. And it's a fun film. It's, it's actually going to be on Netflix at some point soon. And I think our version of it will be on Netflix. So definitely check it out. It's called The Princess Who's Locked in Time. Oh, wonderful. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm up to. Excellent. Yeah. Gary, what about you? Well, lately, over the last sort of year or two, I've been increasingly working with actors agencies on providing casting workshops and workshops on self-tapes and breaking down a scene. All elements of acting that we've covered in various separate podcast episodes. But this week, I provided a self-tape and casting technique workshop for an actors agency called Artists Collective. They're a UK-based agency, but they are a pan-European talent management company, if you like, and all their clients are not just from the UK, but they're all over Europe. Yeah, and it's run by a, a wonderful woman called Eki Maria, and it was on Zoom. And it was a great to work with a bunch of actors who were just willing to do things and go for it. And, and, and interestingly, you know, because we're experiencing what we're experiencing at the moment and so much has moved online and self-taping particularly has become prominent and the most prominent thing, uh, forecastings. And because it's so technologically led, it, it was interesting that usually the emphasis is on the performance side of things, but I had so many questions about the technical side of things. So mm-hmm. it was very interesting to, to get into all of that. And um, the episode on self-taping and casting uh, mm-hmm. came in very useful. I basically appropriated what you both said and uh, palmed it off as my own thought. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Just tag us on the Instagram post. That's all I ask. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thanks Hopefully it will bring that. in some more listeners. So, yeah. Well, there you go. Yes. So that's what I've been up to. Self-tape casting workshop. Excellent. Jen, what about you? What has your week been like creatively? Oh, well, between juggling my children's distance learning, it's always a juggling act. Um, so that's pretty creative. I feel as if I'm walking on a tightrope. Mm-hmm. But I'm also producing my second Artist's Way Creativity Rx evening of storytelling and visual art and um, filmmaking. The first one that we did about a month ago, we raised almost $4,000 to help flip the Senate, wow. which is necessary to do. And now we have uh, the Georgia runoff happening uh, January 5th. So mm-hmm. my producers and I have decided to get together and do another one. And 
and we'll see how it goes. I'm going to have my friend Rory O'Malley, who was on Broadway in Hamilton. Yes. Um, he, he played King George and he was nominated for a Tony for Book of Mormon. And He's incredible. Oh, he's he's the best. And he's the best person mm-hmm. in the world too. He, he played Hamlet to my Gertrude, I guess, um, oh. a couple years back. Although I think we're really close in age, so I don't know what that says about me. But um, <laughs> I, he performed for us last year, and so I've I've put in the word uh, with him, and I, it looks like he might be joining us this year to um, mm. help us raise money. So I'm really looking forward to that. Excellent, I love it. And what about you, Andrea? I have been doing more of the business side of acting this week. Oh, you guys will love it. You'll appreciate this. I'm such a newbie. I've submitted now my application to be approved, hopefully, by Spotlight, so I can have a profile on Spotlight. Woohoo! And I've had a conversation with an agent who was recommended to me, who's based in Berlin. She's fabulous. And we hit it off. And so I'm going to be signing with an agency here in Europe. So that's, that's just great. My week. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sure our agency, how to get an agent, how to talk to an agent, I'm sure that podcast episode helped me too. <laughs> but I just want to ask something, just because I think when anyone starts out on their agent hunt, mm-hmm. you kind of have the feeling like, oh, I'm going to send out a bunch of feelers for agents and then maybe this week or next week they're going to get back to me. And then maybe in three weeks I'm going to be signed with someone. And maybe for some mm-hmm. people that works, but how long have you been on the hunt? Just so people out there can hear exactly how long this has been. I think that's a very, very good point. In this case, I held off on making any outreach because I did not yet have my residency here in Spain, which would allow me to work in Europe. I didn't want to start creating relationships so early on until I had a time frame in mind for myself about when I would be eligible to work because I didn't want to just sort of annoy people with that. Mm-hmm. So I had been putting together a short list for myself, talking to actors about their agents, looking at their social media profiles, looking at at their rosters, watching them for a while. So I I had a short list in mind. In this case, I was also then recommended to this agency and I just really liked it from the start. And there was that moment of, gee, but there's others on the list. Should I reach out to them? But I really felt like, no, this was the right fit. And I didn't need to go over researching this time. Mm. I just needed to say yes. So I said, yes. Okay. So I do think though that, you know, all of our encouragement to our listeners about doing your research and making sure you're going for an agency who's going to be appropriate for you and also push you and where you have a feeling that it's a good partnership. These are all really important points. That was the case for me. But also I remember that you've been talking about needing to get an agent for a few months now. Yes. You know, it's not something yes, where you, I have. You, you've kind of been feeling, oh, I should get an agent or I should get my materials ready for to get an agent. And yes. But it's not a thing where you think that and then tomorrow you've got one. It's a much longer no, process. So I just wanted not. to kind of highlight that because I can remember you talking about it and mm-hmm. now you're like, oh, yeah. I might be signing with someone. You know what I mean? And it's, <laughs> and even that's not quite yes. done yet. So just to right. really put that out there to people that it, it it's okay if it doesn't happen tomorrow. That's right. Even if you want it to. Great point. This episode of the Vagabond Actors Podcast is brought to you by our friends at We Audition. Now look, we all know that auditioning in a pandemic sucks. You can't find the right partner, and if you do find the right partner, how are you going to connect with them in real time and have the read be seamless? Well, We Audition can help with that. They make it easy to find a partner and they take care of all of the technical stuff so that you can focus on what really matters your audition and being awesome. Not only does We Audition allow you to find partners that can help you really kick ass, you can be a partner that helps other people really kick ass and get paid for it. There's other really great benefits to being a We Audition member. You can have one-on-ones with top casting directors, you can get career advice from industry professionals, and a lot more. Right now, We Audition is offering a discount on membership to Vagabond Actors listeners when you sign up with the promo code VAGABOND25. So just go to weaudition.com, click on sign up, then click on the link where it says promo code. Put Vagabond25 in the box and you'll get 25% off your membership. Now, back to the show. 
Again, we're so happy to have Jen with us. So Jen is an actress herself who also sort of fell into the artist's way uh, by Julia Cameron. And this opened you up to a kind of approach to your creativity, to your creative life. And you became a real fan. And now you are, uh, you're a coach and you guide people through the process and you've done in-person workshops, right? And you're doing online workshops and you're expanding what you're doing. Yeah. Right. And so maybe you could just give us an overview of what, what drew you to that work. Absolutely. And then we've got a bunch of questions for you about how it is doing that work in 2020. Um, about 10 years ago, 11 years ago, I was a struggling actress. <laughs> I was a struggling actress more than I was a working actress, but it gave me something now to draw on and write about because I've learned to love writing as well. And so I think that the struggle is way more interesting than actually um, the doing in some ways. And I was in a show called Ass. That's ASS. So it was it was high quality theater and the lights went out during our tech rehearsal and I turned left and so did my best friend's husband's ex-girlfriend. Um, she turned into my direction and she's about a foot shorter than I am. So her forehead hit my nose square on and I was wearing construction goggles because I was <laughs> doing a sketch. I don't even want to tell you what the sketch was about. Um, <laughs> but she basically headbutted my face and it exploded. My face did and uh, it was broken in four places. So I had to have, you know, an emergency surgery and the bills piled up and I was presented with a $30,000 bill from the hospital. And as a struggling artist, that pretty much knocked me over. And I spiraled into a pretty deep depression because it was my face. I mean, despite the fact that I had only played heroin addicts or homeless people, I still didn't want my face destroyed. You know what I mean? And I kept on saying, but I'm an actress. And everybody was like, you play homeless people. You're like, yeah, but come on. Yeah, it's still my face, you know? Um, so I did did spiral. But the first thing I remember doing in that spiral, because I was always very aware that that was not the way to go. Like I couldn't just take a blue pill and, and climb into bed and go to, I guess I could have, but it wasn't my jam. You know, I thought I have to do something circumstantially to alter my life right now. So I picked up the book by Julia Cameron, The Artist's Way, and I started the first chapter and I had done it 10 years before that. And because of the synchronicities in my life, I landed my first movie, was flown to Ireland. And I really realized the way to heal from this mental overload I was feeling was to actually move into creativity. And I got a group of girls together, a group of women, sorry. And we just did it for free in my living room. And one of them ended up writing a web series and starred in it and sold it to Disney. And I produced my first uh, short film from that class. And another one went on to have a pretty lucrative acting career and was just in Netflix in the TV show Hollywood. We all did really spectacular things just from that one little trimester. And I thought, if it's this powerful for a group of eight women who are, quote, struggling in Los Angeles, then certainly it can be accessible to everyone who is going through some sort of a physical or mental disruption or trauma in their life. And mm -hmm. then a year later, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, which rendered me crippled. I could not walk without a walker. I was in incredible pain. And again, I thought, what's going to get me out of this? You know, I had a mm -hmm. newborn who was colicky. I was pretty much in the depths of hell, at least from my perspective. And I picked up the book again. And sure enough, from that, it was a domino effect, but going upwards. That's how I always think of it. It was like that movement forward, but also lifting me out. Can I ask you a question about that? Yeah. So had you been continuing with the daily practice of it? With the morning pages? Yeah. Not then. Or had you kind so, of set it aside and oh, and as soon as I it. as soon as I produced my first short film, you know, "To Desdemona, Love Juliet" was the title. Um, mm -hmm. I I was like, well, this works, and then I was like, it's time to sleep in. 
Right. You know, I had a newborn and right. I wasn't. You had other thinking, things going on in your life. Absolutely. And then, yeah. but the realization that this work, it forces you to face taking risks. It forces you to leap and expect the net to appear. I had a client Mm -hmm. who worked for LA Opera for years and years, and she was an award-winning costumer. And at the LA Opera, she was a tailor. And all she did was cut fabric. And one year I said, Sharon, you got to take the leap, man. Like you can't be cutting fabric anymore. And she's like, I don't know. And one day she came in and she's like, well, I did it. I I leapt. And I, I said, well, did you check at least that there was a net there? A month later, she was designing costumes for Madonna and Katy Perry. And I, and I thought, well, that's a leap that was worth it. Hmm. Yeah, it's huge, wow. this work. Yeah. So, so you were down in the dumps and you kind of came back to the book. And oh, then- yeah. And I start, you know, I acted again. I started acting again. I thought acting was over for me once I became a mother. I started touring uh, with a group called Shotspear and uh, we went to New York and I, you know, I've had a blast with all of the creative endeavors. And then in 2015 is when I formed Creativity Rx because I realized that, especially because there were a lot of parents coming in and caregivers actually, you know, cause we're in the generation we're in between where we're taking care of our parents and we're taking care of our kids. And so many of us are caught in this virtue trap and we're not giving us ourselves the self-care that we need or that creative recovery that we're so desperate for. And especially in 2020, when I've had to reinvent, because I was, I was working out of an art studio and then all of a sudden the pandemic happened and I, I had a role at the Getty Museum in Malibu. I was to do Liz Estrada. I was playing the lead role mm-hmm. and the second day of rehearsal was when Italy had closed down and we were all talking about it cuz we're at the Getty Villa you know and we're like ah, i think it's i think we're done here and and so i i kind of stayed in bed for a week and i thought well, how am i going to do this you know I, how am i going to see my groups they're my support systems and then i started launching it online and it's now international i've had 200 clients just this year wow yeah it's amazing <laughs> But it's hard. I'm also in grad school. I have my kids at home. It's really difficult. You know, you came to it as an actor and I'm sure related to other people who consider themselves creatives in the first place. And I've been thinking a lot about, you know, how technology is transforming our societies, how we function, how we think about things. And then certainly something like the pandemic is transforming how we're handling many, many things. How do you feel about people who don't perceive themselves as being natural creatives And what happens when they're drawn to the work or feel that maybe they haven't earned the right to do this kind of a work? Are you dealing with that at all in your workshops? Yes, I have. In fact, it's mostly lawyers, you know, and they'll come to me and they'll say, well, I'm not really creative. I don't have a creative bone in my Mm -hmm. body. And I'm thinking, "Mm, but really, you don't? Uh, I believe, and I tell, you know, I teach for LAUSD as well, um, theater arts for the underserved youth in LAUSD. Mm-hmm. And there's a question on a questionnaire that says, am I creative? And I tell them all, you know, which is totally leading them. I, I say, we are all creative. You must answer yes on that one. Because I do believe that we are all born with this sense of creativity, because I think that's what life is all about. And that's what I mean, maybe it seems so existential and finding the joy, but the artist's way is more about making your life your artist state as opposed to mm-hmm. becoming a full-blown artist. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, I think with people, what happens is I see these lawyers or these doctors, accountants, you know, come in and they start doing the morning pages and they start doing the tasks and they realize that their quote inner child was an actress or was a writer or was a painter. And then they start to dabble in it a little bit and then they find the joy and then it starts to shift their entire mindset. I think we spoke about this on one of our episodes. I have a bit of a theory that 
people who are more creatively inclined have somewhat of an advantage this year in dealing with having to be so spontaneous and improvisational with what we have and to use the resources that are available and make things work. And I wonder if a circumstance like we're living through is drawing more people to challenge themselves to come up with better ways of coping. Absolutely. And the need to reinvent themselves too. You know, how am I going to work as an actress well, then they start writing their solo performance, you know, during this interim when they can't really go out and perform the theater that they're used to performing. But what I've noticed most this year is the need for a support system. You have many people, and I envy them right now, who are living alone, you know, mm-hmm. and they don't have the camaraderie Um I have a class almost happening every single day and every single artist that is involved because I kind of vet everybody and have people send their friends and they're all so supportive and they know it's a safe place because we're all so vulnerable during this time. If we're not vulnerable, then something is wrong. Either you're a sociopath or, you know, you've got a business that's booming. You know, you're the (laughs) owner of Zoom, you're the owner of Zoom or whatever, the founder. Mm -hmm. But it's... uh, Uh, Right now, I've noticed that the need for a support system and a group of people that you can go to, not group counseling, because I'm not a counselor or therapist yet, you know, I'm a coach, but just have those moments where you can sit down and check in and say, this is what I'm grateful for this week. Um, And to have that gratitude during a time that it doesn't seem possible to be grateful for much, you know, and to bounce off ideas. Can you talk a little bit about how you might recommend people go about finding or forming a support group like that? Just for people who don't maybe feel like they have any place to start doing that? Yes. So I highly recommend doing what I did 10 years ago and getting a group of people together and fleshing out the book as a group. And Julia Cameron has details in the back of The Artist's Way that talk about getting together in these little pods. I think she, I, I, maybe she doesn't use the word pod and maybe that's popular now. It's a term yeah. <laughs> that Americans are using now to talk right. about a group of people that you can be less socially distanced with. But I think that's what she calls them. And then if you don't have that kind of a group that you can go to, writers, actors, other people that you're affiliated with, that you feel safe with. Because that, that's the biggest part of this whole idea is feeling safe in a community and, and collaborating, then start looking it up. Like if you Google artist way groups, I'm pretty much, I think I'm like second or third down the line. If you Google Creativity Rx, which is the C-R-X, E-A-T-I-V-I-T-Y, I'm right there as, as somebody who facilitates these artist way groups. And yeah, I mean, I'm very inexpensive, especially because I know artists now have been affected financially by COVID. um, And I offer scholarships to BIPOC. So I really do feel as if we have to take care of one another right now, especially the artists who are, I, I think the artists are suffering the most. Based on the work that you're doing right now, what do you foresee, what kind of work are we going to be seeing thematically in plays and in music and in the kind of work that your students are intending to create? There's a lot of empowerment happening with women who I think, hmm, I want to say there's empowerment. There's been a lot of anger, at least from the mothers that I know, because mothers and fathers alike, especially with young children who are at home, are trying to balance work and their businesses and working from home and teaching their children. And, you know, the difference is, at least from the people that I associate with, the mothers are the ones who are giving up their work to stay at home and and be teachers. And there's a lot of anger and resentment there. And so I don't know if the work is going to be funny coming out of this. You know, it's going to take a lot of time before this tragedy becomes comedy, I think. But uh, eventually, I think we'll be able to uh, 
appreciate, you know, the perspective once we get out of it and we're like, oh, that was pretty funny. You know, mm-hmm. my kid opened, I, I bought him sushi the other day and he just, he opened the sushi and it all literally exploded <laughs> all over the floor. And I had to teach a class within like five minutes. And, and I looked at him and I said, well, I guess now you'll learn how to clean it up, you know, because <laughs> I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. But if he wasn't here, if he was at school, that never would have happened, you know. And that's empowerment, right? <laughs> yeah, he could write something about him. Or you mean me? Maybe. No, you're, he's, in, <laughs> he's in being empowered to clean up after himself. Yes, yes, very good. I don't know, maybe I'm not using that word correctly. <laughs> no, you are. I was just thinking about me. I need empowerment right now. <laughs> he's, he's 10. He has time. <laughs> So Jen, a couple months ago, Brian shared with us that he was going back to do his artist's way work and he was going to be doing his oh, morning no. pages again. So ever so I'm not putting you on the spot, Brian. I'm not told, yeah, I will not ask right. you. I'm I'm mad enough ask to ask you how you're doing. But No, I think but... we should talk about how I am not doing. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. I think, no, because this is what I wanted to bring up too. It gave us an opportunity to discuss the book a bit and to uh, share the concept of the morning pages and why we felt it was valuable work. And of course, why Brian was drawn back to it at the time. I started Artists Way back when I was a student at Playhouse West in Los Angeles. And we were highly encouraged with this book and with The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. We were strongly encouraged with those two books to approach them as workbooks and to get groups together outside of class and to share our experiences chapter by chapter. So I really love that the Artist's Way groups have have taken on such a wonderful, vibrant life. But the, the morning pages are one of the first things that really can get you working forward. So can you talk to us a little bit about why you think they're so brilliant? Yeah, I mean, there's so many things that I could say about the morning pages because my practice has actually changed quite a bit in the last couple of years. When you first start them, and Julia Cameron says this in the book, you can't complain about something for three or four months and not do something about it at the end of the three or four months. And, you know, I've had clients say, well, try me. (laughs) And I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, you know, you're going to be a rough one. You're a little resistant. (laughs) But for the most part, it's therapy on the page. You know, you write down everything that is going on in your head. And then every once in a while, there's a nugget of a narrative, or you remember you have a memory and you bring up a story that then explodes into a piece. I mean, this happened to me a couple years back. I was potty training my children. So it was a while ago, actually. And I thought, I'm so miserable doing this. You know, it's such a dark period of time in my life, this potty training. It's almost as dark as the time that I was dating the drug dealer and accidentally smoked crack out of his bong. And I wrote that down and I thought, oh, this is my piece. Like this is comparing motherhood to accidentally smoking crack, you know? And so (laughs) from then, like the last couple of years, and especially this year, I'm actually in a morning writing group that's $10 a week. It's a donation based. And my teacher is she's just a genius. And she gives us prompts every morning. Sometimes it's AOC's speech. You know, sometimes it's poet today was poetry Tuesday. Um, and then we write from the poems or the narratives and it gives me something to write about other than complaining because I've actually, I think I've grown enough that I know exactly what my issues are and I don't need to talk about them anymore in the pages. What I need to do is be creative. And so I take the opportunity every morning now to do creative writing. And that's how it's evolved for me. It's a stream of consciousness approach, right? Where you're not not judging the content. You're not trying to create for anybody else's eyes. You're just really allowing a free flow. And that's why you do it right away when you wake up, right? Take that fresh brain and then move it onto the page. Or do you come at it differently? Well, I don't. I do it first thing in the morning. I'm up early uh, every morning because that's the only time that I can have some peace and quiet anyway. But also, in our workshops, there's accountability for the morning pages. We'll bring them up every once in a while. We don't want to shame anybody for not doing them, but you know, we just check in and say, are you doing your morning pages? But I 
do tell them that I don't care when they do them because for some people doing it right before bedtime is actually better for Mm -hmm. them. You know, you have Mm -hmm. actors and actresses who are on or who were on Broadway and they don't get to bed until two o'clock in the morning. You know, even when people wake up, then they're just not, (laughs) I have a client who who won't come to one of these writing things, but she's in Chicago. And I was like, but it's 10 o'clock in the morning. She's like, it's still too early. So, you know, (laughs) that's what happens sometimes. And Andrea mentioned that I had kind of come back to the artist's way and was talking with some of my acting students about it for a little while. And then I was doing the morning pages and then I wasn't doing them anymore. And I kind of, uh, other things in my life seemed to take precedence and I've kind of felt like, I'm I'm not going to really do this anymore. And for me, like, I never went to the gym until I paid for a trainer to basically be there with me and tell me what to do while I did it so that I didn't have to be feel like I was responsible for it. Like I, I went to yoga class and I would do the stuff in yoga class and I would really enjoy it, but I never did it at home. And I am feel like I'm that kind of person where for certain things, I just don't do it. I just don't do it. Right. But on my own. And so what would you say, like how, because I feel like, I, oh, it would be useful for me to do it. I think I would believe in the power of doing it and having and building up a habit of doing it, but I just don't make myself do it. So what, how can you, how can you help me, Jen? I need, I need help. <laughs> well, I, I think this is why, Heal me. I, I think this is why the groups are so popular. I think this is what needs to happen. It's, It's exactly what you said. They feel as if there's more accountability because somebody else knows that they're going through a journey. They'll say some of their goals out loud sometimes. Nobody forces you to, but, and then there's a collaboration that happens. I've had so many artists walk away from the group and actually collaborate, produce together, write a book together. And because of that connection and because we need it so desperately, especially this year, that one-on-one just human connection, I think that is enough to keep people going in the practice. And my groups, they they become so close sometimes that uh, my group from 2015, we, you know, I called them the golden group. They still will get together every couple months. And that's been five years. And it, you know, we'll close a group and and people need to check in with each other. They need to find a way to share what they're working on and kind of keep each other accountable for it. So mm. maybe you need my group, Brian. I need <laughs> a group for sure. <laughs> kind of following on from what Brian was saying and sort of finding the impetus to do something. I think, correct me if I remember this wrongly, but I remember a quote of Julia Cameron's from The Artist's Way. I think it was something along the line, action has magic in it. Oh, it's one of my favorite. Yeah, action has magic and power in it. So begin or something like Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, and that stayed with me because a lot of my work over the years in in relation to acting, as um, we've covered this in in, in the episodes uh, at some point, is... I always begin breaking down a scene for its action because, you know, the language of drama is action. And it always resonated with me and stayed with me that action has magic in it. I'm always getting actors to be active and take action. Uh, You know, one of my biggest problems with any creative work early on was sort of, you know, not starting until I'm I'm perfect at something. And and Mm. I was great at thinking of ideas, but never really putting them into practice. Mm. And, Mm. and, you know, you can obsess over it. And this sort of action has magic, so simply begin or something like that. It, it really stayed with me. And, and and I'm just wondering, what are the sort of common obstacles that get in the way of people taking action that you find? Well, I mean, it, it breaks down to fear. It does. I love the, this quote as well, Gary. I use it all the time. And I think it's action has magic and power in it. And you're right. I do believe it. it goes into just begin it or something like that. So procrastination are one of the blocks, but that comes down to fear. We procrastinate because we don't think it's perfect enough. So perfectionism becomes another block, not being willing to take risks. And as you know, as an actor, risks are so important in our choices Mm -hmm. and how we go about performing or filming a scene. It's all about 
taking risks to be at least a good artist, right? And in the artist way, she talks about taking risks a lot and not being weighed down by the fear. And it's not in this book, but Elizabeth Gilbert writes in Big Magic, she talks about the fact that Mm -hmm. fear is really important for us. If we go back 10,000 years, there's a reason why we have fear in our bodies, because it's to protect us, you know, it's protect us from the mountain lion that's going to come down and, and eat us and our children. And so you want to respect fear, but in an artistic situation, it is not life or death. And I have to tell my clients this all the time. It may feel as if it's death (laughs) when you're, you know, getting ready to shoot something or um, you're memorizing lines and the stage fright hits. But Elizabeth Gilbert says this, you know, you have to tell fear to go take a seat in the corner and that you'll take him out or her out when you're, you know, you need him or her when it is life or death, you'll invite them Mm -hmm. back to the party. But while we're sitting here doing our craft or while we're creating our work, they need to take a seat. It always comes down to fear. It always does. But the action, Gary, it's so interesting that you say that because years ago, um, before I had my accident, and I had picked up the artist way before, I had enrolled in Larry Moss's acting class in Los Angeles. And I I really wanted to learn a New York accent. And (laughs) I'm just out of the blue. So of course, I tackled Danny and the Deep Blue Sea as my scene, because that's where you go, you know, if you want to learn a New York accent. And the person I was paired up with (laughs) said, I'm doing a film. And I think you'd be great to play my girlfriend. And because I set this in motion, because I took action, this guy said, I think you'd be great for this movie. We made up a video because we, this is when we were doing VHS, you know, and we mailed it to Ireland, to Jim Sheridan (laughs) in Ireland. And he cast me as a heroin addict, homeless person. Um, and they flew me to, they flew me to Ireland and I thought, and I was reading the book at the time I was reading the artist way at the time. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Just because I took action mm-hmm. on this one thing, it was the domino effect again, going upwards. Mm-hmm. And I do believe in putting that energy out there for sure. Yeah. It's that, it's that age old thing about putting one step forward and seeing, seeing it's often the, you know, the fear of the unknown. It's never, you know, I always fear going to the dentist, but it, it's never as bad as that. It's never, ever, ever as bad as the fear in my head. Nothing mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Um, put one step forward. And again, you have to improvise. And I think it's the ability to be able to take action and then adjust and improvise. And I think that's something you can get better at the more you do it. Oh, absolutely. And you have to believe it. You know, it goes back to leap and the net will appear. And not to say that you have to have faith, because I have um, many atheists in my group, which is funny, because Julia Cameron refers to God a lot, but she talks about God as good orderly direction or the universe. I think there is a component of faith, or at least believing in your creativity enough that it will pull you out Mm. into opportunity. Yeah. Well, whether it's religious or not, there's a faith involved, isn't there? Mm, I think so. Mm -hmm. When you look at it in, in these terms and you look at what the morning pages are doing, and you've already touched on it in this conversation, if you're procrastinating because you're afraid of a certain outcome, be it good or bad, because sometimes you might be afraid of success too. And you are ruminating and kind of working through and kneading through those fears in your morning pages or in your meditation or whatever it is you're doing. Then after a while, you will have worked out like, oh, actually this outcome that I am afraid of that is preventing me from taking a step is actually not the only outcome and not even a foregone conclusion. And it could be some other fantasy outcome that would be great or something else that I don't know. And so you've worked through it in the morning pages or whatever that practice is. And and so it becomes a known thing and not an unknown thing because you've looked at it for months. Yeah. And it's written down so it's undeniable because you've it's in black and white there on the page. Yeah, absolutely. In psychology, I'm learning now too, um, because the, the morning pages are an opportunity to, to visualize, as you were saying, and to come up with, a, I think you even mentioned fantasy. When we visualize and we dream up possibilities, and I had a client who called them her silver platter morning pages, because she would visualize on the page exactly what she wanted with her goals. You can trick your brain into believing that it's actually happening. 
So in so many visualization meditations, you give gratitude for something that may not have happened in real life yet, but you are giving gratitude as if it has happened. And your brain does not know the difference. That's why fear is so palpable too, you know, because your brain Mm -hmm. does not know the difference. It doesn't realize that you're not going to be eaten. It just knows that it feels uncomfortable with stage fright or whatever. So if you can trick your brain into believing these visualizations, there is that there is magic and power in it, <laughs> just like action. Um, so I think that's another uh, way that the morning pages can serve you. I think this theme of fear is very important to look at, whether it's termed as fear of failure, fear of success. It's something that comes up so often with our with our acting students and, and for ourselves as performers, you know. And I know there's another writer, you may know Marie Forleo. She's written a book now called Everything is Figure Outable. And I think I mentioned it recently, I recommended it. And she's got a chapter on fear. And I'm like, oh my God, I need to listen to this chapter all over again every day this week on mm-hmm. my morning walk. I need to just listen to it because she goes right at it. I feel like if we can address how we feel about the fears, there's tremendous possibility. She says, fear is not the enemy. Waiting to stop feeling afraid is. Mm, Again, mm -hmm. action, not demonizing the feeling, but appreciating it and then acting anyway. You also work with Brene Brown's writings. Is that right? I do. Um, I've started to incorporate them because frankly, I was just getting bored doing the same thing for the last 10 years, you know, and I, I almost know the book by heart, Julia Cameron's book. And so right now what I'm doing is I'm writing my own curriculum for next year, but I draw off of Brene Brown a lot, especially her shame and uh, vulnerability TED talk. And I take a clip Mm -hmm. of that because in chapter three, we talk about anger it opens with anger. And it's funny because it says, she says the same thing um, that you just said about fear is it's sloth and apathy that are actually the enemies. Anger is fuel, you know, but then she goes into shame and how shame blocks us because it goes back to that fear of failure and not being enough. And so I like to take the quote about the critic you know, it's not the critic that's that's important. It's the man in the arena. Mm-hmm. It's the one in the arena who's getting dirtied. And it's that quote. It's a Teddy Roosevelt quote, actually, but Brene Brown made it famous. That kind of lifts me up, especially when another writer, coach of mine, Jen Pasteloff, who wrote On Being Human, she has a statement that's, it's always the one out of the 100. You know, it's like you can have 100 people absolutely love you. And one person can say one thing that's just a little bit off Mm -hmm. and it can ruin your entire day. And as actors, I think um, we are so vulnerable to critics. You know, that Mm -hmm. first bad review from the LA Times when I was 16 years old and they said I whined too much, you know, like I will always remember that. So I think that Brene Brown's quote about the critic and how they're not important, it's the person who's actually doing the work is something that artists need to hear and they need to swim in it. Otherwise, we Mm -hmm. get inundated by that one person who just doesn't like our work. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, there's thousands others that actually appreciate it. So when you start to shift the focus to the doer rather Mm -hmm. than the critic, you start to go, well, actually, the value of doing the work is doing the work. Yes. Not so much the end result of the work. Right. Because she talks about he could be dead (laughs) at the end. Right. You never know. Right. right. And and I've talked I've talked a lot about this and I I will repeat myself now about taking fulfillment from each step of the process and not putting off the fulfillment to the next step, which is so easy to do. Because at any stage it can never go to the next stage. You'd have no idea. Hey Jen, let me ask you about technology. Can I ask you about technology? Sure. I don't know much about it. <laughs> I want to know how you feel about the progression of let's say primarily the actors in your groups over the last 10 years as technology has invaded our lives. Has Mm. it, do you see changes in attention span in what their goals are, how disciplined they are about their work? Do you see a plus to it in terms of the availability of content that they're able to create and enjoy and study or are our brains just all over the map? 
See, I'm, I'm going off of myself right now. And what I feel is that our brains are all over the map, but that just may be my own mm-hmm. perspective. What mm-hmm. I've noticed in my groups and the artists that are the actors that are in my groups, it has enhanced their lives and the fact that they can audition when they are on tour. I work Mm -hmm. for a group that we do college orientations for groups of thousands of college students, you know, and I'm getting kind of old for it to be out there and be like, welcome to college, everybody. But the fear that a lot of the younger company members have is what if I'm out on tour and I get an audition? Well, technology has served them well because they can now do their self tapes. They know exactly what to do. Now, if it's me, I had an audition for The Young and the Restless a couple of months ago, and I was in Oregon, and I just, I had my mom shooting with the iPad. It was horrible. So I do think it's also a generational thing. I think that the, I hate to say it, I think that the younger generation, that they know exactly how to use it, and it's benefiting them, despite the fact that our attention spans may be askew and and we may be juggling too many things all at once. I do think they have an advantage. Are they able to take the time for themselves in quiet and in solitude? Are we able to do that as well as we used to? Or are we smarter about carving that time out because there's so much noise around us? I think that we're smarter about carving that time out. That's all I hear about Mm -hmm. from different groups, from my groups and from, you know, the writing groups that I'm a part of. There's a constant theme of self-care. So many women and so many mothers and caretakers are drawn to this work of the artist's way. I don't know why, but I think because they have already been in that position of the virtue trap, they know intellectually that they have to take the time for solitude and they have to take the time for self-care. Whether they do it or not Mm -hmm. is a totally different story, but I do think that it's something that they embrace wholeheartedly. But I think we need to do more of it. I think everybody is juggling. Mm -hmm. I heard the analogy juggling, you know, plastic balls and glass balls, and you have to determine which are the plastic ones and which ones you can drop Mm. and which ones you have to keep in the air, you know? And in some cases, Mm -hmm. there are a lot of balls in the air, but you're going to have to get rid of some. Mm -hmm. Why do you love actors? I have always been surrounded by actors since I was 10 years old. I will never leave it, even if I go into this psychology business, (laughs) whatever I'm doing there. Um, (laughs) There's something about actors that I feel as if they live more fully than anybody else. And maybe I think that their life experiences, it's as if they're swimming in life experiences in order to then tap into it once they're on stage or in front of the camera. So I think they're living just more fully than most people. You can live a classic death of a salesman or long day's journey into night. We've mentioned all these before, but an actor can live so fully emotionally and behaviorally in two hours than maybe a human being unfortunately might do in in 10 years, if not a lifetime. It comes back to what Brene Brown says about vulnerability. And I think part of what my job I feel as, as a teacher of acting is, is to remind people or to get people to move into taking vulnerability, not as a weakness, but as a place of strength. Mm-hmm. And that's what we do all the time. And what I've found through watching people move through that again and again and again, is that when two people are vulnerable to each other, it's the vulnerability that you have that actually connects you up and makes you have a much more personal and meaningful interaction than if you are keeping yourself safe. Oh, absolutely agree. And that's so much of what Brene Brown says when she talks about vulnerability. It is changing that into a strength and then using that strength to have a more meaningful experience. And that's what we're striving to do for our day-to-day work. Well, I think that's where it becomes frustrating too. If you're not working on characters or pieces that really fulfill you in that way, and you've got the one-liner co-star and it's or you're not getting anything and it's just day in and day out. And that's why, you know, I go back to when Larry Moss said, you got to work on your craft eight hours a day. And I don't know if that's true necessarily because I never did it. Maybe I wasn't as committed as most, but I think that there's something to be said for living those journeys, especially when you're not getting the opportunities to, so that when you do get the opportunity to, you're ready. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Right? Well, to be honest, most of my career has been made up of those one-liner parts, you know, mm -hmm. But just because that's the paid work that you get doesn't yeah. mean that you can't explore much more meaningful things on your own or with a group of friends or in a class or something like that. That there's nothing that's going to prevent you from exploring those big arcs or those big uh, asks in terms of uh, circumstance or or things like that. You just not, might not get paid for it. And that's the thing that Julia Cameron says too at the end, your worth is not your market worth. And that's something that you have to remember. And and unfortunately, in a capitalistic society, you know, the more money we're making, well, you are clearly worth more, but that's not true when it comes to creativity. It's not true when you're busy sculpting yourself into this performance. It's what's behind your work as opposed to what you're getting paid for. Well, that's interesting because you work with actors. Mm -hmm. What's their, for want of a better phrase, what's their most common requirement or what do they come to you asking for the most? Is it success or is it, you know, the bright stars or is it more sort of creativity? What, what, what is it? I think it varies depending on where they are in their career. You know, for my friend, Michelle Kruzik, she's done the class now twice with me. It was success because she was already successful. She was already booking films and television series regular roles, you know. So she just wanted to continue finding the joy in the work and continuing to be successful, obviously, with her work so she could continue to pay her bills. But then you have other people who are really struggling and they're not getting the auditions and they're not getting the opportunities. And so what ends up happening with them is there's a lot of encouragement to write their own stories. Mm -hmm. Because I think that is a vehicle that so many artists could take advantage of because we all have mm -hmm. a story. We all have a storm. We don't know what other people have gone through. You know, nobody is yeah. going to look at Talk me about and think- empowerment. Oh, yeah. Nobody's ever going to think that, you know, I smoked crack out of my drug dealer boyfriend's bong. You know, they're just not. I I look like the president of the PTA half the time, you know. So, so there's a story there. And every time I've seen one of my artists get into their solo show performances, you know, and they take their um, struggles. Like my friend Rebecca, she wrote about her cancer, her years of being diagnosed with cancer and her bus rides to get down to the hospital um, because she lost her car. And each vignette of the bus ride was a show in itself. And then she created this entire one woman show and it was absolutely stellar. And then of course, COVID struck. So she hasn't been able to tour it, but it's one of these things where that's that's the gold. That's where the gem is, you know? Right. Nobody's going to just hand you work. That's exactly what you're talking about, I think, in terms of, you know, what's your worth? Yes. I mean, you develop your worth that way. And also, it kind of links in for me, if you create your own work or you start out of the uh, pages and that leads to something, then you might be taking indirect action. Before you know it, you are a lead somewhere, but you haven't realized that you took the steps to get there. But what you did do is take one step at a time by developing your worth in this way, by creating and hand in hand with taking action. So it's all kind of linked, really. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Jen, it's so amazing to have you here. I have one question for you. I have a personal relationship with you and I've been watching some of your journey this year. I want to know as we approach the end of, thank God, the end of 2020, <laughs> what are your visions? What are your hopes for your own creative community for the next new period? What are the things that you want to see burst forth? Well, for, first and foremost, I really believe in activism as an artist, we can be artists and we can be activists all in one. So I hope that my activism thrives. Things have kind of slowed down a bit and I've tried not to focus on the news, but I, I still look forward to going out and really creating change with what I do. I feel as if in 2020, what I've realized in watching people is we're going through the seven stages of grief and our mental wellness is not 
well, for lack of a better statement. It's just not, we're not doing well. And I think because I've gone through the mental gymnastics and the roller coasters of what I have in my past and know just wholeheartedly that creativity can heal, that's what I'm looking forward to in 2021 is watching how people Mm. take this time and the challenges that they have overcome or the challenges that they've been drowning in right now and maybe even create art from that. And what happens to them when that shift occurs? Could I just ask what stage we're in then? If seven stages of grief, what what do you think you're going to say? The seven I think it really depends. Like, (laughs) it could be the seven stages of hell too, depending on how you look at it. Are we in shock or denial? Are we? I think it just depends on who you are too, because we've also had social unrest, because there's been this economic disparity, because I mean, at least in the U.S., we've gone through this election. We are going through. We are still going through it. Mm -hmm. I. I think it varies according to who you are. In the beginning, when I was doing the Getty show and I came home and, you know, I don't like to admit this, but I went to bed for two weeks and maybe I had COVID. I don't know. But I kept on telling my husband, I said, I handled it so well when the pandemic hit. And he was like, Jen, you went into denial. <laughs> and and I, I was like, I wasn't into that. He says, you didn't get out of bed for two weeks. And yeah. I thought, oh, yeah, you're right. So I do think that it depends on, on where you are. I think I'm closing in on acceptance, but yeah. I don't want to leap to that. I, no. I always have to lower my expectations on everything because <laughs> I have children. So yeah. It's so big. Yeah. You know what? I think it's different for different people. I think some people are still in shock. Oh, yeah. Others are- Nile, a lot of anger. There's a few people bargaining. There's many of that are mm-hmm. depressed. Yeah. And there's a few old hands that are accepting. Yeah, you, <laughs> you know, know, we say that I'm accepting and I might be a little depressed. You know, I might be in that place, even though I'm very, it's been very successful for me, this pandemic. Right. And I hate to yeah. even admit that. But I also, you know, I teach LAUSD and I teach underserved kids. And I have a couple of homeless students. And this is not. Wow ideal for them at all. They are not getting fed like they used to three meals a day, you know, they're, and I have to teach them over zoom and it's like, put on, put on your camera. And sometimes they don't want to put on their camera. And so for me, it does affect me. Then I do get depressed. And so I may yeah. stay, still be in that place. Well, we keep hearing this phrase. Well, I do anyway, at the moment, the great reset, Oof. you know, that's an interesting phrase. Nice. That's being banded about. So there's huge shockwaves that's ha- happening, I think, globally. Yeah. I do, Andrea, look forward to producing my Creativity RX Festival in person next mm. year because yeah. they've always been such a beautiful event and they've always served nonprofits that I believe in and, you know, fed the unhoused. And I just want to go back to being in person and seeing my producers, and, you know, and, and mm-hmm. performing again and telling my stories. You are a teacher and a creator with an activist heart. Yes. Right. Oh, I love that. The desire to change and improve people's lives. It's a beautiful thing, my dear. We're so happy to have you. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a delight. Well, Jen, have you been able to see something that you can recommend to people or, you know, seen, read, experienced that other people might be able to experience? I mean, I always go back to Brene Brown's TED Talk. Um, Big Magic is a great book by Elizabeth Gilbert. Atomic Habits by James Clear is an excellent book if you want to reshape your habits. And I am um, I'm I'm watching the Queen's Gambit right now, and it's so it's good. So good. It's so, it's so good. good. It's so fun. I love it so much. <laughs> And it's been a while since I've loved something like this. You know, it's probably been since Fleabag. You know, strong female characters, always a fave. Yeah. Andrea, what about you? What have you seen or heard or read? Well, we started watching the um, season four of The Crown, which is great. Um, We have a little bit of a mm, difference of opinion in the household about the performance of Gillian Anderson as Margaret Thatcher. Have any of you started to see season four yet? Does she talk like this? Hello, I'm Gillian Anderson. (laughs) I talk like this in every role. She's great. She's great. But she always talks like this. Does she? She does. She's right? laughing. She? Yes. 
<laughs> she, she does. does. Of course she and does. It drives, she's it drives great. my husband batty. Like every scene she's in, he's like, I can't take it. But <laughs> she's getting raves for the performance. She's so good. I hope that it'll smooth out a little bit. But it is it is very, very specific and precise, a characterization. And there's some beautiful physicality in there, but it's still a little... Yeah, I'm still watching it. You know what I mean? I'm still watching the performance at the moment. So uh, not I'm not quite to see given over it, to it yet fully. No, huh? I'm interested to see okay. how I how I feel about it as we move forward. But I highly All recommend right. The Crown as always. I, I worked with Kate Bone at our casting circle here recently, who's one of the casting people for The Crown. She's a wonderful woman. And we talked about how the magic of that show is in the behind-the-scenes relationships. It's not the stiff rod up the back, as she said. It's the very, very personal moments that make it so compelling. And then the other thing is... So I am a singer, as you know, and um, I was able to spend two seasons singing with the Angel City Chorale in Los Angeles, who are just some really extraordinary singers and people. And they've been working so hard this year to keep creating and keep singing from their homes and filming things from their homes. And they're just an unbelievable group of people. I'm so proud of them. I miss them madly. They are directed by Sue Fink, and you may have caught them on America's Got Talent. But they are doing a virtual concert this year. They always have a holiday time concert, and they have, they've been working on a virtual concert, and it's Saturday, December 12th. And so I'll, I'll put a link in one of our upcoming posts, but they're just putting that word out today. And so uh, if you want some feel-good musical entertainment coming up soon, oh, my gosh, tune into the Angel City Chorale. Cool. And Gary, what have you seen, read, heard? Yes. Well, I'm a bit left field this week. I've been listening quite a lot over a while now, but um, the Joe Rogan podcast, I'm a big fan of the Joe Rogan podcast, which is not necessarily for everybody because, you know, he his guests are, are a bit left field and it's a long form discussion of anything from one and a half hours to three hours. And he gets on his show, social commentators, comedians, thinkers, some, some actors. Uh, he had Matthew McConaughey that was on, who's articulate as ever and cool as Ever. So that's worth picking out the Matthew McConaughey one on Joe Rogan. Edward Norton was on and he's erudite as ever and articulate. But yeah, it gets a lot of left field thinkers that you wouldn't normally get mm-hmm. or find in the mainstream, a lot of main, non-mainstream ideas. And in this world of uh, threatening free speech, I think it's uh, a little bastion of off-piste ideas that you wouldn't find many other places. So um, I would recommend checking out Joe Rogan podcast. Okay. And I'm going to go on brand for tonight's discussion. And I'm going to say you should listen to the Mark Marin interview with Julie Cameron on WTF. It was not that long ago. And she had some really great things to say about how she developed the artist's way and Mm. her practice with it. And I found it quite inspiring. Did you listen to it, Jen? No, I have not. I'm going to have to do that. Yeah, it's quite good. It's If you want to listen to an hour of Julie Cameron talking. Yeah, I would love that. Check that out. So, Jen, where can people find you? It's CreativityRx, C-R-X-E-A-T-I-V-I-T-Y. So the Rx is right there in the middle. Um, if they Google so that. what's the website? My, my website is www.jenniferseifert, and that's S-E-I-F-E-R-T dot com. Awesome. And are you on any kind of social media that oh, people can follow you or look you up? All over. Yeah. Facebook <laughs> and Inst- Instagram. My Instagram needs to, uh, you know, I'm going to hire a publicist, but uh, we'll see how that goes in the next couple of months. But um, so it needs a little reworking, but I'm still there on Instagram and, and Facebook and Twitter. All right. So go check out Jen Seifert on those platforms. I'm using very advanced language, I think. Platforms. Ooh, I just got chills. Um, (laughs) uh, uh, Let's see. Andrea, where are you? Where can people look you up? You can look me up all sorts of places. You can find me on Instagram at 
Andrea Helene three and on Twitter at Andrea underscore Helene. Okay. And Gary Condes, where are you, Gary? Hello. Hello. Yes. You can get me on all social media at Gary Condes, but you know, why not visit my website, garycondes.com and drop me a line on my contact page. And I heard through the grapevine that you had a very special person drop you a line on your website on the contact page. Do you remember who it was? Are you talking to me? Yeah, Gary. No. Someone who's very special to me dropped you a line. Oh, yes, of course. (laughs) You know what? I completely blanked. I was going to mention it to you. Your mother got in touch with me. I know. (laughs) know. We had a nice little exchange. Yeah, I know. Yes. If you remember, Brian was mentioning that, you know, his mom's a big fan and she listens in and all the rest of it. And um, so there, I was mindful that was in the back of my head and we were talking about something and I was about to say, the, you know, I was about to curse. You said eye fucking is what you said. Yeah. Oh, that was it. That's, thank you for reminding me. We were talking about the Meisner stare and eye fucking actors who eye fuck each other and just stops, can't stop staring at each other. And um, and now we've said it again. She, and I've so, said it again. Sorry, hello, Mom. Hello, Mrs. Casp. Um, <laughs> she sent me an email saying, um, loving the shows, but please don't worry. I can handle the word fucking. <laughs> <laughs> so, and if you want to look me up, uh, and I suggest you do, because I'm quite funny on Twitter and uh, I post brilliant pictures on Instagram. And I, when I do post to my Facebook uh, fan page, uh, it is incredibly insightful. Uh, you can look me up at Brian Casp, B-R-I-A-N-C-A-S-P-E on all of those platforms. And I will, um, I will delight you. So, um, there's a promise. Exactly. So that's it from us. Jen, it was a fantastic time having you here. We thank really you appreciate so much. you coming on. Yeah. Yeah, thank I, you, pre- I appreciate being asked. So thank you so it, much. Yeah. Thanks for your time. Our pleasure. And so for all of you out there, so we will be having more interviews. We've got some really great people lined up. And so we'll let people know on our media channels about when they can ask questions of those people that we're going to have on. And uh, we would love to put your questions to our people. But in the meantime, for those of you out there who have uh, topics that you want us to discuss about acting or the business of acting, the craft of acting, then definitely get in touch at Vagabond Actors on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow us on Facebook and you can also uh, listen and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and on Podbean and on Spotify. So we're out there and uh, we appreciate you listening. I'm going to shut up now and uh, we're going to cue the drums. So um, thanks very much and stay safe, everyone. Thanks again, Jen. Thank, Thank you, folks. Thanks, Jen. Bye. Bye.